so dynamic, so magnetic, so effervescent, so full of energy and vitality. Is it Herman? No. Is it Sherman? No. Is it Eddie? Is it Freddie? Oh, no, no, no. Is it Hart? Is it Schaffner? Is it Marx, perhaps? Oh, you'll never, never guess it. Don't snap your cap. Is just Miss Judy Garland. Here's the little gal who's earned a number one priority in your pinup department, both in your barracks wall and in your heart, Judy Garland. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heart strings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. Hey, everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next in our Judy Garland series is her appearance on Good News of 1939, which aired on September 8, 1938. This episode features Norma Shear, who is promoting the movie Marie Antoinette, which is one of the most successful and most expensive movies of the 1930s and expensive by the 1930s standards is a $2 million budget, which we all know doesn't cover the caterer these days in most movies. They perform a scene from the movie like they have in other episodes of Good News. And it, this one wasn't my favorite. I, I think some of the others were more entertaining, but to each their own, you may enjoy it much more than me. But on to Judy Garland. She has just turned 16 and she is performing one song instead of three, which is kind of a bummer, but it is a good song at least. It was composed by Roger Edens. I believe it's called Could You Pass in Love? Judy's playing the role of an attractive school teacher trying to corral three backward pupils as they're described, played by Robert Young, Meredith Wilson, and Frank Morgan. I love this song. I've listened to it a few times now and it grows on me just a little bit more each time. There's a lot of chemistry, a lot of a lot of fun banter set to music that I think everyone pulls off well. And if they're not all smiling and having a great time, then they have sold it to the hilt because I could almost envision the smiles on everyone's faces as this was being performed. It's, it's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy that one. About a week after this airs, Judy is technically set to start filming The Wizard of Oz. Problem is, The Wizard of Oz is not ready to be filmed. There was a lengthy delay in pre-production for a multitude of reasons. And her schedule actually was still a little too tightly wound. She was working on Listen Darling. And so the most that she's going to be doing at this point is pre-recording the songs that are featured in Oz. I think the the main story at this time, for me, what I found the most interesting was... The drama of the directors, because there were four in The Wizard of Oz, and three of them came like bam, 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 before they finally settled on the fourth and went their merry way. Director number one was Norman Taurog, T-A-U-R-O-G. I would lay money that I mispronounced that, so if you know how to say that, please let us know in a comment. He was there long enough to do some tests in July and August of 1938 before he was whisked off to do some other feature films. And he was replaced by Richard Thorpe. Now, what we need to know about director number two was he was the one that almost derailed everything we've come to love about The Wizard of Oz, and that is the character of Dorothy. In his vision, Dorothy was placed in a perfectly coiffed and curled blonde wig, a frilly dress, loads of makeup, and was directed to act very prim and proper and... A little bit too sincere and earnest, if that makes sense. And so there was no charm. There was a stiffness. And he was only there for two weeks and had already gained a reputation as being traumatic for the actors because he wouldn't allow second takes and he didn't really seem to respond to any of their needs. And it was a disaster all the way around. So he disappears with the press release saying that he fell ill, but he was totally fired. Director number three was George Cooker. And I hope I said that right, because this is the man that came in and was quoted as saying he was absolutely appalled by the footage that he saw. He set about re-instructing Judy on how this character should be portrayed. He reminded her that this is not a fancy schmancy girl. This is a, a farm girl from Kansas who winds up in a world that is completely shocking to her sensibilities. And so he instills in her the idea that Dorothy is a character that is filled with wonder. He reminds her of the essence of her character. He replaces the frills with a simple blue and white dress. He replaces the blonde wig with 
the brunette braids and he wipes off a ton of makeup and leaves her simple and fresh faced and young and if you can imagine all of that what I just described then you know that he brought us the Dorothy that we have all fallen in love with for generations so thank you sir I hope I said your name correctly because you deserve it so wherever you are thank you for salvaging and ensuring that the world received one of the most beloved characters in cinema so he he was uh there for a week which makes you kind of believe that the universe works in mysterious ways and off he went to finish Gone with the Wind because they were in a pre-production delay because they still hadn't found their perfect Scarlet and I guess they had found Vivian Lee's number and got all of that going so off he went back to Gone with the Wind and then they brought in director number four which was Victor Fleming and he took it down to the end of production I just reading it reading the history of the directors and how everything uh, came about it's such it's almost a thrilling read because you know how it ends up but you're just stunned by the things that some people thought were a good idea and a bad idea and we'll talk about those later as we get into the production of it in other episodes but anyway I hope you enjoy this one Uh, it's a fun song and you kind of feel the the sense that Judy is on the brink of the iconic actress and singer that everyone fell in love with. Anyway, I really enjoyed her song and everybody else's performances are really good too, so hope you enjoy it. Maxwell House Coffee presents Good News of 1939. The makers of Maxwell House Coffee welcome you once again to an hour of entertainment from the Metro-Golden-Mayer Studios in Hollywood. And here's your host for the evening, Robert Young. Thank you, Ted, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's the second lap of the Maxwell House Round the Year Derby, and we're already picking up speed. Tonight's gang of regulars includes Fanny Bryce and Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, Meredith Wilson, and that favorite of all of us, little Judy Garland. Our guest of honor tonight is a star of stars. She's one of the world's finest actresses and a charming person in her own right. She has just returned to Hollywood from New York, and to show our appreciation, we've decided to dedicate our entire good news program to Miss Norma Shear and her new picture, Marie Antoinette. <laughs> Meredith Wilson starts us off with a medley including My Walking Stick, Hand Me Down My Walking Cane, and Happy as a Lark. Meredith, strike up the band for the Queen of France. <laughs>
That was very nice, Meredith. Thanks, Bob. I'll see to it that you get a couple of free tickets to Norma Shear's picture. Uh, what picture is that? Meredith, uh, do you know who this program is dedicated to? Sure. Who? Maxwell House Coffee. Maxwell House... Meredith, do you mind if I ask you a question? Uh, pray do. Oh. You're a pretty smart fellow, aren't you? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Didn't take me very long to figure out that puzzle you gave me last week, Bob. I had the whole thing by Saturday. Now, don't bother me with puzzles. All I started out to tell you was the name of Norma Shears. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell you? No, I'll make a puzzle out of it. What are you talking about? Well, we had heaps of fun with the other puzzle. It was a sizzler. <laughs> all, our, uh, all our house guests enjoyed working on it so much, and uh, I thought if you could give us another one, it would make this coming weekend another razzmatazz. <laughs> oh, a razzmatazz, huh? <laughs> well, see if you can guess the name of Norma Shear's new picture from this little puzzle. Okie doke. All right. You're friendly with a rich girl named Susie, and you're in love with a poor girl named Antoinette. Would you rather wed Susie or marry Antoinette? Oh, well, that's a Lulu. But I think I'm on the right track already. Is it fair for me to ask just one question? Pray do. <laughs> All right. Uh, how much money has Susie got? That's not nothing to do with it. Oh, you're trying to throw me off, eh? Well, all right. What does Antoinette look like? Well, she's really something. She's gorgeous. She's luscious. Beautiful eyes. Kissable lips. Oh, she it is? I mean, she has? <laughs> Oh, Senator Morgan is in again. Yes, well, just tell me one thing, Bob. Is she of voting age? Say, maybe that's a clue. I'll go think it over, Bob. No, wait a minute, Dizzy. Aren't you going to say hello to your old pal, Frank Morgan? Well, gee, Frank, I'd be tickled. Uh, generally, you don't even notice me. I'm laying eight to one. He wants something. A vicious remark from the tongue of a small-souled heel. <laughs> well, if the shoe fits, wear it. Things have come to a pretty pass when a gentleman can't greet a fellow artist without being accused of ulterior motives. You think I stoop so low as to pretend affection for a colleague simply for worldly gain? Besides, Meredith, it's only a small favor. Well, I'll be glad to oblige you if I can, Frankie. I, I mean, Frank. Oh, no, no. Call me Frankie. <laughs> the idea is I'd like you to get about 40 musicians and lead them in a political parade down Hollywood Boulevard. I think if they all wore uniforms, would be nice, don't you, Dizzy? Uniforms? Yes, well, maybe just white coats. The signs will look better anyway on white coats. What signs? Well, uh, Morgan for Senator. Believe me, I'll appreciate this, Meredith. Well, gee, Frankie, I'm supposed to be a dignified fellow. I can't wear a sign on my back. Well, yes, and you're 100% right, dear. That you can wear a high hat with neon lights. Now, the parade is next Wednesday. Now, wait a minute. Got... Wait a minute, Frankie. Do yeah. you realize this will cost you around $300? $300? Are you going to let a few paltry pennies come between friends? Well, I can't help it, Frankie. You know the union, how they Well, feel about... I should have known better. <laughs> than to degrade myself and ask a favor of an ex-fruit player. Well, but Frankie... Now, don't call me Frankie. Senator, please, remember your constituents. Oh, for heaven, are those things showing again? <laughs> Meredith, you go work on your puzzle and I'll work on mine. Now, Morgan, what's the trouble? Well, Bob, I'm planning a political rally and I tried to make a deal with the Hollywood Bowl so all my voters could attend, but the deal fell through. What did you do? Well, I took a small room at the Y. Frank, I really wish you'd give up this senatorial stuff. You haven't got a political bone in your whole body. Who hasn't? Po politics runs in my family. Why, it's only three years ago that an uncle of mine ran for an important political office. What's he doing now? Nothing. He got the job. Well, so long. <laughs> I, 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 I... Meredith Wilson plays another musical tribute to our guest of honor. He plays a new arrangement of a song that is inseparably linked in all of our hearts with a memory of Norma Shear's performance in her famous picture, Smiling Through. Norma, for you, Smiling Through.
Ted Pearson edging up towards the mic, and I can tell there's something special on his mind. What is it, Ted? That's a question, Bob. Just one question I want to ask some of our listeners. Well, this is a good time for it, but why a question to some of our listeners? Why not to all? Well, because a great many of our listeners had Maxwell House coffee this morning. But to those who didn't, I ask, how long is it since you've tried Maxwell House coffee? Now, here's why I ask that. Today, everybody who's enjoying Maxwell House is drinking a coffee that's even richer and more delicious than ever before. Made so in two important ways. You see, no matter how good a product is, constant research generally finds a way to improve it. And that's just what's been done to Maxwell House coffee. I can promise you people who haven't tried Maxwell House lately that you're really missing something in your morning cup of coffee. I can too, Ted. Tell everybody the two reasons why this new Maxwell House coffee is now better than ever. Well, to start with, this already superb blend of the world's choice coffees has now been further enriched. The moment you taste this wonderfully improved Maxwell House blend, you'll notice an extra smoothness and mellowness. It's got an extra richness, a deep, full-bodied goodness that'll satisfy you, we believe, beyond any coffee you've ever tasted. And then this enriched Maxwell House blend is now roasted by a new process called radiant roast. Now radiant heat penetrates each coffee bean, roasts it evenly through and through, and so provides for you a still more full-flavored cup of coffee. And so I say to you people who haven't tried Maxwell House coffee lately, try it. Discover this new thrill in coffee. Get a pound of the new Maxwell House tomorrow. I know you'll agree that now, more than ever, this is the coffee to the last drop. Hold your hats, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go for another sleigh ride with that adorable devil, Baby Snooks. Here's Fanny Bryce as the impossible child with her daddy, Hanley Stafford. Tonight, daddy is in a high dudgeon. He has found out that baby Snooks has spent her movie money in the candy store, and mother's trying to calm him as the scene opens. Let's listen. Now, there's no use getting excited, dear. I'm not excited. I just don't know what to do with that child. You shouldn't have given her the money for the movies in the first place. Well, how did I know she'd spend it on candy? Now, please, don't go getting upset. Oh, all right. I'll question her when she comes in. But if she doesn't admit the truth, I'll be forced to give her a licking. Well, she's coming in now. I'll leave you alone with her. Oh, uh, Snook. Hello, Mommy. Daddy wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh, Daddy. Come in here, darling. <laughs> what are you yelling about? I didn't do nothing. Now, who said you did? Then why did you call me darling? Never mind that. Uh, Snooks. Have you been to the movies? Yes, Daddy. I went to the Aster. Oh, the Aster. Let me see that paper. Mm-hmm. Then you must have seen Marie Antoinette. Seen who? 
Marie Antoinette. No, I went with Mrs. Smith. Snooks. Marie Antoinette is the name of the picture playing at the Astor. If you went there, you must have seen it. I've seen it, Daddy. Oh. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. I see. Well, what's the picture about? What picture? Marie Antoinette! Oh. Well. Hmm. Has it got Indians? I'm asking you! It ain't got Indians. Snokes, I don't believe you even went to the movies. Huh? You spent the money on candy. No, I didn't, Daddy. Then what's that on your face? You mean my nose? No. I mean around your mouth. That's chocolate. Now, how did it get there? Well, I... Uh, I fell down. And there was chocolate on the sidewalk. Do you expect me to believe that? No, but I couldn't think of anything else. Oh. Now, listen, Snooks. I'm calm. I'm cool. And I'm not going to lose my temper. All I want is the truth. All right, Daddy. I tell you the truth. All right, go ahead. What will you do to me if I spent the money for candy? I'll give you the licking of your life. I went to the movies. <laughs> okay. If you insist you went, what was the picture about? Go on. Marie Antoinette was the Queen of France. Go on. Well, Marie Antoinette was the Queen of France. Yes. And? Well, uh, go on. What's the rest of the story? Well, she, she fell in love with a man who owned a candy store. What? <laughs> And one day they got married, and the next day they had twins. Snooks. So they made her the queen of friends, and they lived everly, everly, happily, everly, everly. Oh, what are you yelling about? Because it's very sad. I suppose you think you're fooling me with that story, you little fibber. Well, I know the story because I've seen the picture, and it's nothing like that. Yes, it was, Dad. No, it wasn't. The story's about a young Austrian princess. Her mother Who's was... mother? Marie's mother. She... Who's Marie? The princess. And her what mother... What princess? The one in the picture. Which picture? Marie Antoinette! Ah. <laughs> her mother told her to go to France. Oh, who? Marie. She told her to go to France and marry. Marie told her mother? No. Her mother told Marie to get married. Why? <laughs> to save her country. What country? Austria. Times are very bad. <laughs> And it was important that France and Austria should be joined by a royal marriage. France had to marry Austria! Oh, no! Marie Antoinette had to marry the Dauphin. He was the great-grandson of Louis XV. Uncle Louis? No, not Uncle Louis. <laughs> King Louis. And I'm talking about the Dauphin. Marie didn't really like him, but she... Uh... I like him. Like who? Uncle Louis. Oh, what's Uncle Louis got to do with this thing? I said the Dauphin, don't you understand? Marie didn't like him because he was fat, clumsy, slow-witted, and had a very repulsive face. Now do you know who the Dauphin is? Uh-huh. Uncle Louis. Oh, he was the heir to the throne. What throne? The French throne. And he married her. Who did? Uncle Louis. I mean the Dauphin. <laughs> he married Marie Antoinette, but they were never happy. Why? Because there were no children. Poor guy didn't know how well off he was. <laughs> Nothing, nothing. <laughs> Anyhow, they got married. Became king and queen, the revolution started. And they met their downfall at the hands of the masses. Now, Snooks, just for curiosity, I'd like to know what you've got out of this whole story. <laughs> I liked it. Well, I'm very glad. Now, let's see if you can tell it to me in your own words. All right, Eddie. Marie married Antoinette. And when she became the king... They lived in a revolution until they fell down and started to eat molasses. And I told you that story just as clear as crystal. Snooks, isn't there any way I can make you understand it? Uh-huh. Give me another 50 cents and I'll go see the picture. That's the limit. Thank you, Fanny. That was grand. Young lady who is an even bigger favorite with all of us than when she went off the air in June. 
Since then, most of us have seen her beautiful performance with Mickey Rooney and Love Finds Andy Hardy. Anyway, here she is, little Judy Garland. And, uh, Judy, now that I've got all that formal stuff over with, I'm certainly glad to see you. Thank you, Mr. Young. Now I feel better. All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for Judy's return to the program, Roger Edens has created an unusual arrangement for her. Miss Garland plays the role of an attractive young schoolteacher. Meredith Wilson, Frank Morgan, and myself are her backward pupils. <laughs> All right, let's go to school. School day, school day, beer of old and old days. Rah, rah, sis boom ba, devil cake, hooray! Class, class, please come to order, and no procrastination, for as sure as you live, I'm going to give. Your entrance examination. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Mr. Young. Yes, teacher. Now, you may be at the head of the class in Latin and Greek. I sure am. Mm-hmm, but in the dark on the bench in the park, have you any technique? I guess I missed that lesson. Mr. Wilson. Mm-hmm. In adding a column of figures, you may be a fast one. Oh, uh, two and seven and five and eleven and thirteen and four are uh, forty-two. <clears throat> mm-hmm, and you may know how to spell, but can you cast one? Well, I was sick that day, teacher. Mr. Morgan. Oh, here I am. <laughs> in affairs of the world, you may be frightfully smart. Oh, yes. In uh, 1492, Marie Antoinette said, shoot if you must this old gray head. But what do you know when it comes to the affairs of the heart? Well, I always know when I'm in love. How? Well, I feel terrible. <laughs> That's just what I thought. Could you pass in love? With a certain one beside you, could you pass in love? Oh, would you need a book to guide you on lovely nights when the lights are low? Then would you know just what to do, what you got to do? Could you pass in love? How is your romantic knowledge? Could you pass in love? If you can't, why go to college? You may know astronomy from A to C, but oh, when there's a moon above, could you pass in love? Mr. Young, can you tell me who's the goddess of love? Juno. No, 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 no. Sappho. No, 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 no. Cleo. No, you stupid boy. The goddess of love is Myrna Lloyd. I love you. Wilson, if you're not too stupid, will you tell the class all about little Dan Cupid? Well, well, I don't know, but I think he was the kid that had a bow. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard it said. He even shot an apple from his papa's head. Love your magic everywhere. Two members of my class are very bad. Of course, no names I'll mention. Now, Mr. Morgan, you're a very smart man. Give love the third depiction. Oh, uh, you mean the third, yes. That's uh, just before the fourth. Oh, yes. Well, Amo, Amos, Amat. <laughs> I'm really on a spot. Oh. The clock struck one. Away I run. Amo, Amos, Amat. And in your test on love, you flunk. As far as I'm concerned, I think you're loony. You ought to take a lesson from Mickey Rooney. L is for the Lyron out at Metro. O is for the onion that I know. V is for the violets in the valley. E is for the eggs the people throw. Yeah. 
Bob, I noticed by the racing minute end up there that we're rounding the halfway mark. That means it's time once more for that pleasant customer. Yes, of ours. Ted and friends, it is time for a moment of relaxation over a steaming, fragrant cup of Maxwell House coffee. Right now, I can think of nothing more pleasant than that. And I'd like to suggest that along about this time every Thursday, as you sit before your radio at home, you keep us company with a grand cup of the new Maxwell House coffee. Now richer, more delicious than ever. A good idea, Ted. Yes, we're inviting every one of you to do just that. Keep us company over a cup of Maxwell House coffee. Okay, Meredith, a little of that mellow music that goes with it. We now pause briefly for station identification. We continue our good news of 1939, dedicated to the lovely star of Marie Antoinette, Miss Norma Shear, with Fanny Bryce, Frank Morgan, and Meredith Wilson. Now in the days of Louis XV and Marie Antoinette, the current dance craze was a stately minuet. The minuet gets very little attention from modern dancers. But there's one new dance that's as near to it as 1938 is likely to come. It started in England, took Paris by storm, and now bids fair to replace the Big Apple over here. Meredith Wilson presents the Lambeth Walk. Well, just a minute, Bob. Uh, what you said just now was very interesting. Thank you all. Well, <laughs> speaking along the same line before I play the music, it might be interesting if I try to give the radio audience a mental picture of the dance. Go right ahead, Meredith. Morgan runs for senator. You run a dancing class. I'll run to the dressing room for a smoke. Or uh, would you rather I stuck around, Meredith? Well, pray do. Uh, the dance is a heap of fun. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the first thing you do... <laughs> First thing is uh, to take a partner. That is, if you're a boy, you take a girl, and if you're a boy, vice versa. I'll take one of those. Well, then you all march down the room. The gentlemen on the inside, the ladies on the outside. Who's watching the store? Everybody has his arms linked with his neighbor on the left, uh. or the right, as the case may be, until you start the double turn. Oh, I forgot to say that before you start, the music plays eight bars, and uh, then you swing the arms jauntily in cockney fashion, uh. either forward or backward, depending on which way you're facing, that is, providing you're facing. Do you feel all right, Daddy? You know, it's funny, the fellow that explained it to me got all mixed up. Oh, he did, huh? <laughs> But you're all right. Oh, sure. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, when you do the dance, you link right arms, huh? and you walk around in a circle to the left. I mean the right. Four steps. I think it's four. Well, anyway, you wait till you come out facing the opposite side. Have I still got the same girl? Now, I'll sing it. Now, come on, everybody. All together now. Every little Lambeth gal with her little Lambeth pal, you'll find them all doing the Lambeth walk. Hoy! No, 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 no. Now, wait a minute, Meredith. What's that hoy? Hoy? Why, that's the Cockney salute. Uh, shall I play it? Pray do. <laughs>
uh, that was the Lambeth Walk. Thank you, Meredith, and thank you for that lovely dance. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have an important announcement to make. Uh, just if a minute, you're... Mr. Young. Here's a telegram from Mr. Morgan. Oh, thank you, son. Say, Frank. Frank Morgan. These touchy musicians. I never heard of such a thing. What's the matter, Senator? Well, one of these musicians just hit me with his instrument for no reason at all. I won't mention his name, but if he does it again, he won't be able to play the bassoon for a week. <laughs> what have you been doing, Frank? Trying to get the musical vote? Well, no, no, no. All I did was to walk into a telephone booth, and this chap's wife happened to be in there at the time. Oh. I swear to you, Bob, I walked out almost immediately. It gets stuffy in there, you know. Anyway. Yes, I know, I know. Well, uh, here's a telegram for you. Oh, thank you, son. <clears throat> yes, it's from the State Medical Association. <laughs> I knew that speech I made to the doctors last week would turn the trick. Why, when I got up there and said... Read the went... telegram. Yes, certainly. Uh, understand, you've been representing yourself as a licensed physician. Well, you, uh, well, you, uh, this, uh, well, this is just personal. I don't... Uh, come here, come here, come here. Come back here. What? Finish that huh? telegram, you charlatan. Oh, well, uh, unless you stop describing yourself as a doctor, we will prosecute to the full extent of the law. I've been stabbed. <laughs> Dr. Morgan, a double cardiactomy. How can they do that to me? I always played ball with those fellas. What position? Third base. Well, Bob, this wire prefers to come from the association, but I've got a pretty good idea who's at the bottom of it. And just for this, I won't pay my bill for another two years. Well, Frank, there's one good thing about this wire. I hope uh, it will end your campaign for senator. End my campaign? Well, I'm going after bigger game than doctors, my boy. Like what, you faker? Well, you may not know it, my flashy young fashion plate, but the American Legion will meet in conclave here next week. The American Legion will yes. you better hide, Frank. Hide? Why should I hide from my old buddies? Oh, Mademoiselle from Armentiers, Polly Boo, Mademoiselle from Wait a Arm minute, wait a minute. Are you what? trying to imply that you saw service, Mr. Morgan? General Morgan, sir, 15th Cavalry, 22nd Artillery, 9th Infantry, and 2nd Clarinet. A general? Why, yes. Frank, you couldn't lead a platoon across Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard? Have you ever heard of the Battle of Bello Wood? I'll never forget the day I led those gallant men through the war's scarred remnants. Frank, of a... Frank, everybody knows General Pershing led the men into Bellow Woods. Uh, Pershing? Yeah. Uh, oh, Pershing. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, Pershing, well, I led them coming back. <laughs> at any rate, during the offensive at Wipers... Eep. Uh, I said, uh, during the offensive at Wipers... Eep. Mm, when we were at Wipers... Eat. Can I get you a bicarbonate? It's not pronounced Wipers, General. It's eat. Well, as I was saying, during this offensive... By the way, you're getting pretty offensive young yourself. I received my baptism on the fire. We were occupying the most dangerous section of the front line. We were all on edge for the big puss. I mean, the big puss. <laughs> Most of us were pacing nervously up and down the rain-sodden trenches. But huddled in a corner was one unfortunate young man who was so far gone he even dared to violate the anti-liquor regulations. Poor fellow, there he sat, nursing a bottle of cognac. The hoarder. <laughs> Why, he could have been court-martialed for that. Of course, but suddenly, ten minutes before the zero hour, the liquor took effect. The lad scrambled over the top, brandishing his bottle, and disappeared into the teeth of our own barrage. Well, didn't anybody try to stop him? Well, he was too quick. But immediately, I was after him for a shot. I mean, like a shot. <laughs> Crawling on my stomach through the muck and slime, machine gun bullets and shrapnel whistling past my ears, I came upon him sprawled in a shell hole, still clutching his bottle. Oh, what an awful thing. Oh, it was a nightmare. The enemy was now raking the whole area with a devastating fire. But when I thought of the other fellow, my courage doubled. I started back half-dragging my precious burden. I inched along painfully for what seemed ours. Imagine my relief when I finally saw the shelter of our own trenches. Did the soldier recover? How should I know? I only brought back the cognac. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Morgan, you mean to tell me you left the kid lying out there in a shell hole? Well, I didn't leave him there long, Bob. Three drinks of that cognac and I tore through no man's land like a wild gazelle, parrying bullets with my swagger stick. Before I returned, I'd rescued the boy, raided four machine gun nests, wiped out a dozen snipers, and captured a battery of tanks. A battery of what? Tanks! Tanks! You're welcome. Not at all. <laughs> Remember, young, I did all this single-handed. 
Why didn't you use two hands? What, and drop the cognac? Well, <laughs> needless to say, Bob, I was decorated. I received the honors of every civilized country in the world. My own grateful nation made me a general and gave me a month's furlough with pay. Forty dollars. Less ten percent of my agent. <laughs> I uh, suppose you painted Paris pretty red with that 40 bucks. No, Bob, I didn't want the excitement of Paris. War quiets a man. And so I sought peace in the beauty of the French countryside. I took lodgings in the little town of Amiens-sur-Mer. But even there, I was received as a hero. As I passed down the cobble streets, the children cried, Ah, voila le General Morgan! And the old men yelled, Viva Morgan! Sounds Spanish to me. Even the pretty peasant girls blew kisses at me and shook their little jabots. I, um, I can't imagine you enjoying life in the country, Frank. Why, Bob, in France is marvelous. The wholesome food, the delicious wines, the simple childlike amusements. It was heaven. What kind of amusements, for instance? Well, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. A little peasant game called Piff Poof. Piff-poof. Yes, I used to play it with those peasant girls, and it was more fun than any game I've ever played in my life. Oh, it's with girls, huh? Yes. How do you play it? Well, it's very simple. You have a big table with a hole in the center, and you have a bag of beans, and you stand at opposite ends of the table and try to toss the bean bag through the hole. Some fun. <laughs> oh, but wait a minute. When the bean bag goes through the hole, you both dive under the table to retrieve it. It's lots of fun. And then it goes through again, and once more, you both dive under the table to retrieve it. Honestly, Bob, it's more fun. Yeah, well, where does the fun come in? Under the table. <laughs> well, hold on, Bob. I got to call the American League headquarters now. And now let's go back and visit with Baby Snooks again. Daddy! Now, don't bother me, dear. I must hurry and get back to the office. Why, Daddy? Well, now, you heard me tell Mother we've got a special sales meeting tonight. Oh, I hope you win, Daddy. Yes. Huh? Well, good night. Don't go yet, Daddy. I want to sing you a song. Oh, I haven't the time, Snooks. I sing it fast, Daddy. Oh, all right. Go ahead and sing it fast. All right. Stop eating round the mulberry bush. Mulberry bush. Mulberry bush. Stop eating round the mulberry bush. Bring around a rosie. Stop eating round the strawberry bush. Raspberry bush. London Bridge is falling down. I like to play all kinds of games, kinds of games, kinds of games. Won't you come out and play with me before I say I wouldn't? Stop beating around the ice cream store, the ice cream store, the ice cream store. Stop beating around the ice cream store. I wish I had a chocolate sundae. Stop beating around the mulberry bush. Mulberry. What you want, Daddy? Snooks, those aren't the right words to that song. <laughs> I know it. Well, are they original? No, I made them up myself. You made them up? Why, Snooks, darling, that's wonderful. <laughs> Sing them again. All right, Daddy. Stop eating rum. Mulberry bush. Mulberry bush. Mulberry bush. Stop eating rum. The mulberry bush. This is the end of the song. Good night. You know, you know, I've never tried to prove this, but I'll wager that at breakfast this morning in thousands of homes, something like this occurred. Let's listen. Well, see you tonight, Mary. I've got to run. But, John, you've only half finished your coffee again this morning. Don't you like it? Oh, it's all right. So long, dear. Home the usual time. Well, there's one thing sure. You won't find any half-finished coffee cups left at your table if you use the new Maxwell House coffee. Get a pound of the new Maxwell House tomorrow. I can promise you there's a new thrill in coffee pleasure waiting for you. First, because Maxwell House coffee is new and blend. It's richer, mellower, smoother than ever. Second, it's now roasted by the remarkable radiant roast process to bring out this extra goodness for you in the most delicious, the most deeply satisfying cup of coffee you may have ever tasted. And that goes no matter how you make your coffee. For this new Maxwell House comes in two grinds. A special drip grind, perfect for every type of drip or glass coffee maker, and also in the regular grind to help you make better percolator or boiled coffee. Two different coffee-making methods, so naturally, two different grinds for utmost flavor in the cup. Both grinds, the drip grind and the regular grind, 
are packed in the same familiar blue super vacuum can to bring this new Maxwell House to you with all its extra rich flavor and goodness sealed in roaster fresh. Grocers everywhere now have the new Maxwell House on their shelves. And please remember that Maxwell House coffee, now a better coffee than ever, is still selling and will continue to sell at low prices friendly to your budget. So if you haven't tried it lately, now more than ever is the time to make friends with Maxwell House. The MGM Concert Hall presentation tonight is also in the Gaelic spirit, although Franz Schubert wrote it long after the reign of Marie Antoinette. Meredith Wilson plays a spectacular new arrangement of the immortal March Militaire. point in our Maxwell House program tonight. I want you to meet the brilliant producer who's been responsible for such varied masterpieces as The Thin Man, Maytime, The Great Ziegfeld, and Naughty Marietta. Ladies and gentlemen, the producer of Marie Antoinette, Hunt Stromberg. Thank you. In just a moment, I shall be very happy to let Marie Antoinette speak for itself in the person of its charming star, Norma Shearer. But I should like to say, ladies and gentlemen, that this picture has given me a thrill in production that no other picture has ever given me. And the principal reason for this, I should say, was the fact that Norma Scherer has had her heart set on playing this role of Marie Antoinette. There was something about the character of this young Austrian princess who became Queen of France just before the Revolution that fascinated and inspired Norma Scherer. Perhaps it was a change in Marie Antoinette 
from a gay, innocent young girl to the most spectacular, extravagant, and naughty queen in France's history. At any rate, Norma Scherer lived and breathed the character. And this enthusiasm has been transferred with a remarkable feeling of sincerity to the screen by MGM's ace director, W.S. Van Dykes. Second, this has resulted in a truly brilliant performance. Co-starring in Marie Antoinette with Norma Scherer is Tyrone Power, and they are ably assisted by Anita Louise, Joseph Schilkraut, and a great cast of power and distinction. We're going to present now one scene from the picture. Since Tyrone Power is on location in Missouri, shooting some scenes for his new picture, Jesse James, Robert Young will play Tyrone's part. The romantic Swedish Count with whom Marie Antoinette falls in love. I'm sure you will enjoy Bob's performance. And now, I'm proud to present Miss Norma Scherer. Antoinette of Austria came to Versailles to marry the heir to the French throne. She was romantically thrilled by her approaching wedding until she beheld the helpless, backward, clumsy young man who was to be her husband, the Dauphin, destined to be King Louis XVI. The marriage was a failure. And day after day, for three long years, she sat cooped up in her palace, alone, bored to distraction, as Madame Dubarry, favorite of the king, humbled and slandered her. Suddenly, Marie Antoinette rebelled, completely, violently. She decided to escape, to really live. She gave parties, incredible parties. She went on mad escapades in Paris, the Paris of mysterious nights. She was seen in dangerous haunts where royalty was never seen before. She became the scandal of France. Then, a desperate situation occurred. She was commanded by the king to recognize Madame Dubarry to receive her publicly. She reluctantly agreed, but Dubarry, true to type, insulted her. Marie Antoinette fought back. The king, infuriated and mindful that her farcical marriage had failed to produce an heir to the throne, threatened to annul her marriage and send her back in disgrace to Austria. Deserted now by all her friends, a confused, bewildered creature, she hurries in desperation to see Count Mercy, the Austrian ambassador. As she waits for him, alone in an anteroom of the embassy, a door opens and there enters, not the ambassador, but a handsome, dark young man who made a strange impression on her when she met him in a gambling house two weeks before. The Swedish nobleman, Count Furzen. The Count is surprised and confused to see Marie Antoinette, who is herself almost in tears. He apologizes. Oh, pardon me, I... I had no idea, I... I thought the room was empty. Please excuse me. I left some papers. Certainly. Thank you. And pardon me. I, uh... I knew I'm making a nuisance of myself, but... If there's anything I can do... Thank you. There's, there's nothing. I'm sorry. It's hard to be helpless when... May I get you a glass of sherry? I'm trying to tell you that my life is at your service, you know. Oh, surely you've heard the news. You know why the king sent for Count Merci. I've only heard you were in trouble. <laughs> and still I can't get rid of you. You want to be my friend in my disgrace. Yes. <laughs> I'm not impressed, Count Furzen. I've lived at court too long. I've seen too much tonight. Confess, I attract you. I saw it in your eyes that night. <laughs> You want to profit by the occasion. You'd you'd like to make love to me, wouldn't you? I should like to make love to you. You think that would be a very simple matter, I suppose? From my point of view, yes, madame. And then you risk nothing in offering me your attention. You're not French. You, you need no favors from the king of France. I wouldn't cry. He isn't worth it. Oh, be quiet. Must you preach, too? What have you to offer in his place? I don't know what his place was. I'm offering you myself. How generous of you. How adroit. How comforting to a discarded woman. Please. Oh, you must have heard. They... 
He said he was my lover. I know that isn't true. You don't know anything about me. I've known you all your life. You saw me for the first time at the gaming house in Paris. You're mistaken, madame. At 13, you could neither write German or French correctly. You knew nothing of history. You liked music, but you trifled with it, as with everything else. Gluck was your music master. He brought you apples, and you threw them at him. You were inattentive, spoiled, and adorable. And you've been talking of me to Count Merci. You came down to breakfast every morning and announced that something wonderful was about to happen to you. On rainy days, you sat at a small gilded table and pressed rose leaves and screamed. You had a blue Noah's Ark with Monsieur and Madame Noah and 24 pairs of animals. You had a toy farm with woolly sheep and a little red cow named Plop. Monsieur, it's true. How did you know? Do you remember a governess, uh, Madame Cordat? Sort of little flopping person like a respectable magpie. Pecky. Not Pecky. Pecky. She became my sister's governess. And shattered all this? Oh, how dreadful. When she left, she left you with me. I fell in love with you. I dreamed of daring feats in your defense. The world rocked in some tremendous upset, and I rode through rivers of blood to your side. <laughs> you were very foolish. I was jealous, too. Insanely jealous. It maddened me to think that paid menials could hear your voice, see your hair unbound. And when you were married, I was in despair. I... I begin to understand why you were so angry that night. Madame. You thought of me as something quite wonderful, didn't you? And instead you found an empty-headed, ill-mannered little fool. You see, monsieur, how... how sadly I am changed. No, madame. You've made pleasure a shield against loneliness and slander. But you could never change so deep a heart. So eager to be loved. Everyone, even the highest, has some dream of love in his heart. Unless he achieve it, he must fill the emptiness with noise, fame, excitement, pleasure. Where did you learn all this, monsieur? In museums, mostly. Museums? They're very dull, most of them, and neglected. But you'll always find someone there, gazing at the relics of queens who were true lovers. There isn't much to see. A ring, a glove, a fan. But we preserve them as we do our laws. And we have much more faith in them. Do you think, a hundred years hence, some Swedish gentleman wandering in Paris may smile over a relic of Marie Antoinette? Uh, a miniature, perhaps, or a ring? This very ring, for instance. It's centuries old. It has an inscription written on it. Everything leads me to thee. <laughs> Can you see it lying on a velvet cushion in its, in its little glass case? I'm not sure. You might make a gift of it, perhaps to some man who loved you. It might be worn on his hand for as long as he lived and be buried with him when he died. Because he'd loved you, reverently as was fitting, and from a respectful distance, but with all his heart, for all his life. No, his dream, not me. You, as you are, loyal and sweet and brave. If he met you once and never saw you again, his heart would be filled with you forever. And he could never be less than he was intended to be. For your sake. I must go. But Count Merci. It doesn't matter. Madame. Let me alone. Let me go. You're only upsetting me. You, you always do. I? Yes, yes. Last time and now. The things you say. You hurt me. No one has hurt me so. I hurt you. Oh, I'm... I'm tired, tired. I don't know what I'm saying. You, you bewilder me. I can't think. So many words. Such, such wonderful words. What are you trying to tell me? That I love you. What else have I been saying with every word? Too plainly. And with no right. <laughs> that you love me. Let me be still a moment and, and understand. When we first met, my heart stood still. I knew then, really. I knew that, that something had happened, something glorious and terrible and everlasting. But, you know, I thought love came more happily. What are you saying? Perhaps the great loves come with tears.
The dawn is breaking. Oh, how beautiful it is. I knew it would be beautiful. I must go. You're not afraid? No. Oh, stay a moment. When the door closes on you, I shall doubt that all this really happened. You're here beside me. If I bend my head, I can feel your cheek against my lips. I can hear your voice saying incredible things. Oh, will it always be like this? Shall we never lose the wonder of it? For me, it will never change. You see, I have a stubborn streak. I may pray to forget, but it will never be granted me. <laughs> How grave you are. Have you ever thought the people to whom miracles happen must be a little dazed? A blind man to whom his sight was suddenly given would be startled by the strange new world. It's so with me. I came here hoping to catch a glimpse of you at court. You might have flung me a word, gracious and indifferent as you passed. Instead. Listen. The village is waking. I must let you go. Goodbye. Good night. Or if you will, good morning. I shall never say goodbye. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And now a number you didn't expect to hear. The Peanut Vendor. good night, but I'd like to thank Norma Shearer for visiting our good news program. I'm sure we all hope she'll be with us again soon. Next Thursday, we have another grand star-studded program you won't want to miss, with a surprise preview of one of MGM's biggest pictures of the season, Too Hot to Handle, starring Clark Gable and Myrna Loy. This is in addition to our regulars, Fanny Bryce and Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, and Meredith Wilson. I know you won't want to miss this show, but in the meantime, go to the movies and take the family with you. Be sure and see Marie Antoinette when it reaches your favorite theater. Remember that Tyrone Power plays Count Person. And I uh, regret to add, he plays it much better than I did. <laughs> no, 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 Bob, just a minute. Yes, Norma. Tyrone is marvelous in the picture, but I, I think you're pretty swell yourself. I feel so honored that this wonderful program has been dedicated to me. It was awfully nice of you to come and play the scene with me today, Bob. I certainly appreciate it, and I'm sure the audience does, too. <laughs> 